0: Pull up the knowledge reports, guys. Get yourself educated. The information's out there. If you're not finding it, it's because you are not looking for it. You're depending on people like me and Corley and other other people to do that job for you. Don't be fucking lazy. This is your job. Go out there and look for it. All right? There's levels to this game. And you get to choose what level you're on. You can be JV or varsity. All right? You can be JV or varsity. It's your call.
1: Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap. A podcast dedicated to the never ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It's weekly scrap number 96. Wow. 96. Dude. Yes, Robert Mears. All right. I tried to trim down this intro, straight out the gate. I tried to trim this down, but bear with me because this is I'm throwing a lot at you. Tonight's guest is Robert Ramirez. He's of National Rescue Consultants, The Mayday Mindset. He has been a student of the fire service for more than 20 years, Homeland Security, FEMA, USAR, Florida Task Force 2 since 2006. He was in Haiti when it was shaking apart. He went through Katrina and who knows how many others. Uh, he's an instructor with the credentials to back it up, a founding member of Firefighter Advanced Survival Techniques Program, he has been published in Fire Engineering. He has taught at every conference worth mentioning. I am really looking forward to this scrap. Many times I'm introducing a stranger, but tonight I get to n- introduce my friend, Robert Ramirez. It is my pleasure to have you as the guest of Weekly Scrap 96. Welcome, my brother.
0: Thanks for having me, Court. Man, I, I I honestly am so psyched to be here tonight. Uh, I was actually talking to you before the show, telling you I was actually feeling ner- nervous coming on. And uh, I normally don't get nervous for these things anymore, but... It's kind of a big deal being on the Scrap, and I couldn't be happier
1: to be here tonight with you. Thanks for the intro, man. I just feel like I didn't deserve any of that. I love it, man. I love it. I'm really excited. Uh, did I miss anything? I mean, I know I, I <laughs> tried I tried to shrink it down. So.
0: Dude, that's more than enough. That was amazing. Thank All you. All right.
1: All right. To the audience, get your questions ready. I count on you to keep us on our toes. The Scrap has the best audience in the world with the best live questions. So I count on it. And now, with no further ado, we're going to get right into it. Uh, Right out the gate, I made sure it was okay with you, but I wanted to ask you about the pile. How goes the work on the collapse? Uh, The world basically watched, you know, just in horror when that collapsed. And uh, go ahead and give us an update on what you feel comfortable talking about.
0: Well, as you know, I was up in Oklahoma uh, doing our thing with you uh, when it all went down on the 24th, 25th in the evening. Uh, So I was out of town for the majority of the part of uh, the rescue. The guys down there are doing an amazing job. I was able to spend a couple days with them uh witness the work that these men and women are doing and like you said in the intro i've been in the USAR world for the better part of about 16 years and been very very fortunate uh to be exposed to and around uh, men and women that do th- do this at a very very high level not only in the united states but international teams such as fairfax and la and and, and foreign countries and the men and women working the surfside collapse are doing an honorable deed They're doing a work that is unimaginably hard um, I've come close to tears uh, several times over the last two weeks uh, just having conversation with them uh, being out at the pile with them seeing the type of work that all the rescuers are doing not only Florida task force too but the teams from international teams from Israel and Mexico uh, the other teams on the FEMA program and I'm gonna miss them so I'm not gonna shout them all out we have teams from all over from Jersey Virginia and the list goes on and on. Indiana I said, I oh, wasn't going to do that. I'm doing it. But uh, I, feel, I feel remiss if I don't mention that these guys are working so hard. They're working around the clock core, corely. And uh, the work, uh, they know they're digging for bodies at this point. Right. And uh, we're an urban search and rescue team. Search and rescue being the key. Uh, to change gears for us from self, uh, search and rescue to what the men and women there have been doing the last couple of days uh, is a tough transition for any rescuer. And yet they're pushing on at a feverish pace. They're resting only to get fed, hydrated, whatever rest they can. They're back on that pile, wow. uh, digging with the, on their hands and knees, brother on their hands and knees. Uh, the weather down here has been horrible. Uh, uh they, they kept digging through a near miss hurricane. They kept digging through thunderstorms, They're digging all day at 90% humidity, 95 degrees in the sun, no shade multiple layers of ppe p100 mask on where you can't breathe right uh man uh, i i can go on and on and on. but thanks for asking the work is being that being being done is a a great humanitarian mission and and i couldn't speak better of my guys and girls there i couldn't be prouder
1: i couldn't imagine i can't imagine and uh absolute uh great shout out to everybody going on uh, lots of lot, I'm going to catch you up with the the hype first from everybody, and then I'll hit you with your first question. Jacob Johnson said, "This is going to be epic. Kill it, my brother. You're the best." So Jacob Johnson, the ultimate hype man. I love him. Yeah, uh, David Pruitt said, "Varsity on tap." Uh, excited for wow. this one from Jesse Jones. Dane Yaw said, "Woohoo, kill it, Rob." So we got the we, we have the honor of the fallen like uh, reunion going on. It's awesome. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's great. Love those guys. Adrian Florido said, show us the hair. I'm assuming he's talking to you because you know me, I've got no hair. <laughs> I got no hair tonight. The hair is uh, under a hat. Fair enough. And show the hair tonight. <laughs> now, here's the first question I want to throw at you, and it comes from Rich Anderson. He said, did you get to work with the Israelis? I heard they were absolute pros. I did not work directly with them. I did spend time with them
0: off the pile. Um, I, I, all my team members uh, assigned to Florida Task Force 2 did work with them very closely on several early, earlier missions. Uh, I'm not going to talk about them on here. It's exactly what they were, but they were part of the very public uh, rescue of one of uh, one of our city of Miami firefighters uh, was digging for her seven-year-old daughter, and the Israeli team was a uh, important played a pivotal role in that rescue. From my team members who were there and participated in it, uh, their their team has been nothing but a godsend. Their their efforts are incredible and they dug for our people, like if they were digging for theirs. And uh, the relationship forged there. I was, I was talking to my friends yesterday. Uh, we on our, on our FEMA USAR BDU tops, we have one side that keeps Velcro available so we can go from a state team to a federal team. Uh, the guys from Israel also have the same Velcro on their BDU tops. Uh, <laughs> just the other day when I left the site, all the Israelis were wearing Florida, Virginia, and USA patches on theirs. And all the United States teams were wearing the Israeli team patch on theirs, wow. and digging side by, thinking digging side by side. That doesn't tell you yeah. that there is there is the patch is just a patch. We're all rescuers and we're all cut from the same thread. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, the massive respect shown is yeah, that's impressive. Uh, all right, uh, catching more more stuff thrown at you. Uh, Stephen Cox said, "Looking good, brother." Howard Reinwald chief says, "Keep your head up, bro. Strong work by all. Extreme respect." Chief Dennis Riley says, hey, guys, looking forward to this one. I got to get Robert out to Kansas for his Mayday class. should be mandatory for all firefighters. 100% agree with that. Um, Herbie Tyler says, this is going to be epic. Marco Isom says, Rob is a solid guy with passion. Raquel Lorenzen said, DP Rob in the house. Dennis Riley said, much love for all the USAR folks. Okay. Justin Lorenzen said, love you, brother. So there we are, caught up. Thank love you, guys. For love you all. All the hype, love you all. all of it. Get the questions coming. Uh, love it. Okay, back to the notes and the first question thrown at you. The class I got to hear from you was Mayday Mindset. Dude, I loved it. I took pages of notes, uh, and now I want to get to try and pick your brain on it and get you to share how it came about, why you built it.
0: All right, so a Mindset. Uh, earlier in my career, uh, I can't take full credit for anything that I do. I honestly cannot. I'd be here. I'd be sitting here lying to everyone saying that, you know, I'm this fucking genius uh, who's pulling up these PowerPoints and creating all types of information. Um, I, I had a problem with a couple of things, the way that firefighter rescue and survival was being taught. A, I thought to myself, when the citizens are in trouble, whether it's a UFO on Main Street USA and or a room and contents fire, they down 911, they get the fire department. When the cops are in trouble, if they need help, they call the fire department, you know, for a fire, medical, explosion, or something fire department related. When firemen or firefighters are in trouble, We need other firefighters to rescue us um i've heard a lot of guys speak throughout my career talking about you know uh man uh the reason i want to do rid is because i want to be there for my brothers and sisters if they need us or the truck does truck work the engine does engine work the ambulance does medical work the rescue companies rescue firemen and citizens and i always thought to myself how can we prepare ourselves to rescue each other if that's what i wanted to do in my career absolutely Dude, I love firemen. i said it everywhere I go. I say it, I love firemen. I've been doing this job since I was barely 20 years old. Uh, before that, I was a cadet at 15 and 16. I, I know nothing else but the fire service. And from a young age, Chief, i figured out that I wanted to help firemen. I found my passion in the arena of firefighter rescue and survival. And it just kind of, like, opened Pandora's box for me, where I was like, dude, that's what I want to be good at. So you let me know if I get long-winded. No, no. I go. start... I appreciate it. So I started looking at the classes just like every young fireman does. Your first four or five years are very selfish. It's all about you and dumping into your hard drive. And everybody wants to give you information, good or bad or indifferent. But everybody's giving you. Mm -hmm. So people around me were giving me. And the arena that I knew I liked because I took a real high-speed class with some guys down south was this firefighter rescue and survival stuff. And I was like, man, that is so badass. I want to be good at that. Yeah, I want to stretch lines. I want to throw ladders. But that, to me, sounds so important. Because the people that I shared a house with, I had dinners with, laughs, tears, fires, blood, and sweat are the ones that I want to make, make sure they get home to their families. So yeah. everything I can do to prepare myself and those around me to make sure that I get home or they get home, it's a freaking home run in my mind. You know, This is young Rob talking to myself. And uh, so I started taking these classes. And a lot of these classes were, were very disappointing at first. I was like, OK, cool. Why are we doing this? Oh, because so and so says it works. Okay, where does so-and-so find that information? Well, so-and-so figured it out and or thinks it may work and or created a technique that is very complicated and if you had to reproduce it, it may or may not work. And all these techniques had no either A, validation behind them or B, a, a solid answer of how or when they would work if applied during a real Mayday situation. And that led me to start looking into researching and information and here we are. Right on. About since from 09 till now, we've probably done easily, you know, put a thousand guys and girls through our program at some level. The program's constantly in some form of evolution. We're constantly learning. You know, you're not, we don't train guys. We train with guys and girls. So everything, every time we go out there, something works better than something we were doing before. And we run with it. We're not too cool to say that that is our way or the highway. And this program is data driven and street vetted. So everything we do is from the data being collected by either, back in the day, simply NFPA, NIOSH, the losses, or the BRUSH study, and or firefighter rescue survey, and or, and or, and or. And we kept moving on and progressing. And as we matured, the program matured. As the information became available, the program matured. matured. And here we are now, you know, in 2021, looking at a program that we can teach over 40 hours, over five days, and every single day is different than the next. And everything nice. we're pushing is either simple, is very simple, efficient, and pre- actually it's very efficient is pre- and easy to reproduce under stress. And that's our goal.
1: No, yeah, that, that's that, and I think that's the key to the whole thing that makes it so relevant. Um, let me ask you this, because just as you talked, it made me think of this question, which is out of left field, uh, not prepped. Uh, what's the biggest change? That, could you said you started as basically 2009, roughly? Mm-hmm. So over the sure. last 12 years, what's the biggest change you think that's that's occurred, the biggest evolution probably from the beginning to so, now? The
0: program itself, uh, the evolution has become how simple yet efficient our techniques have gotten. We're, we were teaching in the beginning. You start teaching techniques, and you're trying to teach things that no one else is teaching because you think it may work better. And we've come full circle now to where we're teaching the basics and making them look advanced, but making sure that through scaled training – Which is repetitive reproducible and easily very efficient and easily uh, pulled under stress or made available to us during stress as a reflex not a reaction through training and real simple techniques that capture success and move from that point forward and i'll and i'm kind of going down a wormhole myself right now (laughs) trying to get too ahead of myself but i don't want to but dude the simple answer is simply the program has become more simple And more reproducible based on the current data and based on the information that we've learned by simple failure. Failure has
1: taught us so many things. Right, right.
0: That's Uh, all it is.
1: No, let me ask you this because I know you're not a fan of Lunar, and I'm I'm not, I mean, ask you to break down Lunar, but was there ever a point where you were a fan of Lunar early on or anything? Absolutely. That's all we had. Okay. Yeah. So that's okay. Makes sense because the same thing for us was like we bought into Lunar right out the gate. It's like Lunar, Lunar, Lunar. And you're like, you get to a point where you're like, hold up. I, you know, if you ask me for a lunar in the kitchen while I'm chopping up onions, I can't hardly give it to you.
0: So, you're asking a guy, you're asking a guy to do advanced calculus while he's in a knife fight in an elevator. You know, it just doesn't happen. This guy's fighting for his life. This girl's fighting for her life. And now you're asking him to do advanced calculus and give you his location. I don't even know what it stands for anymore because we don't use it. Now, we're not setting policy, but it's all we had in the beginning. So, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And as we matured, the program matured and we got rid of that altogether because. We're human before we're firefighters. And the human in the Mayday is not going to recall
1: that under stress and duress. Love it. Love it. Okay. Sorry for my little sidetrack. Uh, Love it. What is the biggest misconception? Okay. Well, hold on. I got uh, Justin Lorenzen is throwing a question at you. And he said, Rob, what would you say to the crews that see the writ assignment as a BS do nothing assignment?
0: That's funny. Hey, what's up, Justin? Uh, Justin's a great guy. I got to meet him up in Oklahoma. Uh, I felt like you know all these guys for a long time because you're on social media, they're doing the same right. thing we're doing. Right? Right. And, then, and then when you get to meet them in person and they're just as cool as you thought they were it's a home run, and he's one of those guys, that's where you – so it's, that's actually pretty cool when, when that happens. Absolutely. But uh, uh, real simple, the guys and girls are looking at RIT as what we used to refer to as you know, RIT, rectal insertion of thumb as he stood in the front yard. Those guys and girls <laughs> are you know, – RIT has changed so much, so much in the last 10 years. Uh, the writ that was being taught to us in, you know, in, in the late '90s and for in, in early 2000, and the first part of the first decade of 2000, was just that: Bring equipment, stand in the front yard, is normally understaffed. You were supposed to stand there and do absolutely nothing in the beginning. That's the way we were taught it. We want to maintain a level of readiness. We don't want you to get excited. We don't want you to take on any simple tasks. keep your heart rate down. And they pushed that culture of "do nothing for so long that RIT became a bad word. If you do RIT the right way and you soften the building, read the building, conduct your size ups, maintain that second incident commander position as a RIT company officer, bring the tools, the building, the fire, dictate the tools, the conditions, the environment you're going to be operating in. I mean, there's so much proactivity in today's RIT. And then when you actually get deployed, the way you function in the building, the cool shit you get to do, the way we address emergencies, once we get to our down firefighter, with the information and the equipment we have today, I mean, RIT is one of the coolest, if not most important assignments on the fire ground. And if someone doesn't see that, is because A, they're, they're an officer with their head in the dirt, or B, they haven't been taught the right way.
1: Plain and simple. So it comes back to training? Training. Always. Training. Always. Okay. You just don't know what you don't know. Uh, Pablo Janar said, all about mindset. Train the firefighter that will be in that bad situation at 2 a.m., not the firefighter that is in the front of me right now. And that's from... Machi Ramirez?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that <laughs> Pablo. Pablo Pablo's I know what he's getting at. Pablo's a stud. He uh so when we do our classes, we always say the same thing that Pablo just said. My goal is our goal as a crew is not to train the person in front of me today, sitting there listening to us talk, the guy sitting at the house right now watching this podcast, guy or girl. We we're training that person to be the person they're going to be the day of their mayday. With with a resting heart rate of 150, 160, 170 where every action or re- and or reaction will dictate the outcome of the situation. So it's not a hit or miss. I mean, whatever they had planned the next morning, at 2 a.m., he said, at 2 a.m., with a thousand pounds of ceiling and laugh on their back, knock uh, mask half knocked off their face, heart rate of 150, 160, loss of fine motor skills, and everything they do from that point forward, from calling the Mayday, uh, checking their airways, conducting check, working through their algorithms if they have one hopefully they do it's going to dictate whether or not they're going to go home that night or to the kitchen firehouse table and talk about it and or in a box with a flag so yeah you cannot train the person sitting in front of you today to be the person they are that day you got to train them to be the person they're going to be the day that mayday and we make that very clear that it's first we focus on the soft drive and then we focus on the hard drive which is the skill
1: set nice nicely said man nicely explained um all right, I'm trying to see what I missed here. Okay, Dane, y'all ask if you're off the line or in a pinch. How much of a BS assignment is it then? I don't know if I understand the question, Dane. I'm sorry.
0: I don't. I don't understand it either. But um, yeah, if you're not on the line or is that in a pinch? I'm sorry, I don't understand that.
1: No, I didn't get it. I have to clarify for us, Dane. All right. Yeah, brother. If your, Jacob Johnson says, if your department runs a three and two assignment, three pumpers and two mm-hmm. trucks, what unit do you think should be assigned writ? And do you think they should stay writ for the whole time the scene is working?
0: Well, if a crew is assigned writ, uh, going back to what we were talking about before, if a crew is initially assigned writ and they're doing writ operations, conducting them the proper way with everything we covered before. And again, I'm not the writ guy. Like This is not like a RIT program, but I'm telling you my opinion is based on what I know and what we teach when I work with studs like Basil and all of those guys from OFD uh, who who I've learned so much from the last couple of years. uh, Those guys are conducting RIT operations and training at a level I've never seen before. Nice. But those guys are studs in my book, and some of the people I reach out to, those are my subject matter experts. If we're conducting any type of RIT operation the way it is, off the rip right off the rip of that paper and you're on scene and that's your assignment given to me by chief moore uh i would hesitate as long as interior isolation conditions are present and firefighting is being done to switch that crew out with a fresh crew because there is so much of a potential for information lost in transfer because a lot of information you're taking visually and you may not be able to pass that if i'm monitoring building conditions fire progress so on and so on Uh, accountability where the members are going in by where the first line went, the second line who's who's searching above the fire floor where the ladders are where the secondary means of egress are and then all of a sudden you pull me that off that operation and give me another job to go pull seating somewhere and someone else comes in fresh that's a they're way behind the eight ball right and that transitional period i can lose a fireman i'm trying not to lose firefighters you know so if i get assigned that position i like to stay in it for the duration of the fire i'm gonna you know that's just not my fire to fight you can't fight every fire but uh as far as the staffing goes, I'll tell you what they do in South Florida. It really irks my nerves. My nerves. I'll throw I live I live I'll throw stones on my own place first. Uh, we run rescue companies, which are not rescues, you know, ambulances that transport, but also go to fires. And we sometimes, uh, based on the staffing or the order of arrival, if we're using trucks and engines to fight that fire, and we have a medical ambulance and/or rescue already assigned to victims and/or firefighters on scene or rehab. we'll get a three-person ambulance with bunker gear and turn them into our RIT team. I'm not saying it's right or wrong or indifferent, but historically, those are our youngest members. Right. And and with the least amount of experience and exposure. So you're putting a real, real heavy load on them. And we roll that dice over and over again, and and shit that never happens happens all the time. So the day that something does happen, and I got three brand-new guys coming after me or three junior-junior members coming after me or someone else, and they're unsuccessful, I mean, what kind of damage did you do to those members? Right, right. This is what we talk about all the time. And you're not, doubting their heart. Time.
1: you're not doubting their heart or anything. It strictly comes down to experience and, and, and training.
0: You're absolutely right. It's not about heart. I'm, I'm protecting them the yeah.
1: way I see it. No, absolutely. I'm protecting them from themselves. All right. Hey, Rob, you are doing well, Papo. What tools would you recommend for initial RIT team besides the RIT pack? That's from Alexander Valbuena.
0: Alexander Valbuena. Uh, what's up, brother? So um, tools that are the building, the fire conditions and the circumstance, the circumstances are going to dictate this response. Um, if you're even, you know, ordinary construction, uh, concrete block and sheet rock and sheet rock. I mean, down here, we talked about it. When we were up there on uh, during the hot wind challenge. Uh, our doors, our windows, our structures, we're trying to keep the AC in. It's hot as shit down here and we're trying to keep the hurricanes out. Right. So if you try to keep hurricanes out. And a c n we lock our shit up real tight, so if you try to get in a window that's hurricane or impact glass, a door that's set in uh, block and or metal frame, you're not forcing these doors the way you do up north right you know you're not you're not breaking these windows or cutting windows into doors with a chainsaw from the outside. that kind of stuff does not happen down here so uh, to act to answer Alex's question, uh the building the fire conditions and the circumstances, and the location of your members are going to dictate their answer, you know simple real simple
1: no and i don't think anything can replace knowing your district i mean that comes down to just knowing your district absolutely uh i'm trying to get good questions thrown out i mean there's they're, they're just they're sending them so they're coming at you drew elliott said what is your position on the RIT team being stationary versus being fluid and moving based on conditions and where crews are operating getting a lot of RIT questions so i am, I am. <laughs> i'll be I'll, I'll, I'll basil thinks i'm basil, doing job. basil actually is here somewhere i know he All said, right, Basil, text, text me if I'm messing this up, bro.
0: <laughs> so, uh, that's funny shit. So, uh, we uh, I've actually seen it done two ways. Uh, we've actually worked through crews operating nearest the crews that are in the most amount of risk. Or the crews, are, the crews that are incurring the highest amount of risk. That's where I want my RIT team closest to. Um, if I do have a RIT officer, it's okay for the RIT officer to be walking around, monitoring, again, building conditions and actions because that's going to dictate where he's going to staff or deploy his people. Identifying entry means or egress means for the people in the building and for him and his crews. If they're done softening the building, you know, pulling burglar bars, softening impact glass, taking doors, whatever they're doing, uh, that's going to dictate whether or not. I'm not a big fan of uh, a stationary, you know, uh, fl- flamingo down here in Florida, you know, the old plastic flamingos. <laughs> right. In the grass. Yeah, the flamingo in the, in the grass, the area, the yard gnome. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, it gives me heartache when I see a uh, Rick company show up with a Stokes basket with everything on their truck, and they just park there in a corner where off the scene, off the beaten path, and and after the fire they're still standing there and they never moved one inch. Right. That's just that's that's a yard ornament. That's not a proactive Rick crew. So I'm not a fan of Rick companies that just sit around. I am a fan of uh, knowing where your Rick company members are. If you're the Rick company officer, uh, assigning them to do minor tasks and details are are going to a enhance their ability and efficiency. But uh, monitoring where the greatest amount of risk is being incurred is that company officer's position and responsibility. And that's where I'm going to focus my members nice. on assigned to rate.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Mark Davidson, another, we got another on the, but he said should be viewed as the cavalry element getting ready to charge in. That mindset is critical. Yard shepherds need not apply. So there's another time we got yard flamingos, pink yard birds, <laughs> yard gnomes, uh, and yard shepherds. So there you go. That's awesome. Uh, John's show shit. Man, you dude. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. I say that every time you ask a question, um, <laughs> uh, the third, but he said, I think crews don't see writ as an important function because it is not often used. Younger firefighters in my area have never seen a fire and now they are going to be put into a firefighter rescue position. Any thoughts on how to motivate the position?
0: Data. The data's out there. Uh, the data shows that if and when mayday are being activated and they're being called guys they're being called um this is not you know hard black and white concrete data but something as simple as project mayday if you just want to talk about talk about maydays you know uh project mayday captures close to five six thousand maydays coast to coast border to border in a five-year period so we're calling maydays in the united states so i understand how they feel but the old saying of facts don't care about feelings it holds true. Dude, I get it. You haven't fought a fire in X amount of weeks and or months. I get it. But if you get assigned to RIT, this shit is happening. It's happening 5,000 times a year. They're being called, and this is how they're being handled, and this is the best way to do it. Not based on Rob, based on the data. Okay, so don't sit here and, and tell me that you don't want to do that because you've never had it's never happened in your backyard, but it's happening everywhere else. You know, if you also haven't pulled somebody out of a fire, I get it. But it's happening every two hours and 30 minutes, according to the study. Right Right on. 9.8 rescues a day with a 75% survival rate. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, facts don't care about feelings. So uh, make sure your members understand the why and then teach them the how. But just teaching them the how without the why puts you in a bad position as a a accompanying officer and or an instructor.
1: Love it. Love it. All right. We are caught up here. I've got Jacob Johnson saying, my man, Basil Ibrahim, says, what's up, brothers, with a lot of flexing? He's got a lot of flexing arms going on. Uh, With no sleeves. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, he's so easy here. But that was a while back, just so you know. Uh, Yeah. Marshall Boyd says, wouldn't you rather have the experience in the building since that's where 90% of the Mayday Rescue resolutions come from? Just a thought about the newer guys outside assigned to RIT.
0: Uh, so I know what he's saying. I know where he's getting that number from. Uh, so just to touch up on what he's saying for the audience members that do not understand where he pulled that number from, uh, again, back to project Mayday. And I believe that's where he's pulling that number from. He can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I can't see what you're saying there, Right on. but, uh, 88% of Maydays out of those five, 6,000 we talked about were resolved by op- in- crews inside the building, meaning, Engine companies that I'm assigned to or truck companies I'm on resolved it after I called my Mayday, not the RIP team, and or crews operating near me. Okay, so engine one walks by engine two. I'm engine two. Engine two, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. Engine one's two rooms over, turns around, says, hey, that was engine. So-and-so, we just passed them. Let's yeah, go right back, back there there, and fix yeah. it. Exactly. And then we cancel the Mayday. I walk out the front door and or they take me out of the building. So 88% of the time, 88% of the time. A lot of these maydays are being resolved not by self-rescue and or a RIT team, but by the crews operating in the building. So in theory, I'm putting my air quotes up, in theory, the more people that occupy that space in bunker gear, the safer we all are. Our best risk prevention or risk management is a healthy interior firefighting culture. And uh, that is absolutely true. Now, do I want to leave my junior members outside versus inside? You know, these these are not red teams that are making these graphs. These are 88% of the people in the building are just people in the building on some functional fire ground assignment, whether a search or stretching or throwing ladders or overhauling. These are functional groups that you can't keep members outside that are based on seniority.
1: Right. Okay. No, I like and, – and what I was going to ask is – and the data backs up. The, the more The more bodies inside, the better, basically. Correct. And that's data, right. not, not opinion. Hmm. Uh, Chad Small says, it was. We're, we've we got tons of questions coming at you. I hope you're enjoying. So it was mentioned. I love it. A personal algorithm. He put his own air quotes on that. But a personal algorithm for a member at 0200. Can you explain what that means? All right. So a personal algorithm. And
0: I might go down a wormhole here. So, Chief, if I go hey. down too far, you stop me and bring me back. The scrap is all, all right. about wormholes. <laughs> awesome. So uh, going back to personal algorithms and or systems, uh, systems matter. Systems. In order for us to be successful in anything we do, whether it's firefighter packaging, throwing ground ladders, and uh, insert, dealing with low air emergencies, high air emergencies, calling a mayday, bailing out a window, you have to have a system. Similar to pilots. Pilots have landing systems before they land the plane every single time. With or without issues, they go through their systems. Check flaps down, flaps up, wheels. Check it, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, emergency uh, fighter pilots when they eject, they go through an ejection sequence, um, and the list goes on and on and on. We need to create systems for everything that we do, or and or algorithms. How? What am I prepared to do when I'm again laying at two in the morning? We'll use Pablo scenario. Two in the morning, on my stomach with. A thousand pounds of ceiling on my back. What am I prepared to do? Am I going to freak out and try to figure it out then, and or have I played through the scenario through visualization and realistic training over and over again? So I understand that I'm going to set off my pass device, check my air, fix my mask, reach my pocket, um, get my flashlight, check my regulator, and go down my systems checklist. Whatever my components are, they're going to keep me alive. In our program, in our program, we create systems with primary contingencies alternate contingencies, contingencies themselves, and emergencies. Uh, we use a PACE mythology, it's something we've used for a long time. I've heard people like Polly Capo use it, uh, uh, Rick George, the godfather of all this, he uses it. And again, we're just students of theirs and we add our own twist to it, what works for us, and we put it out to the public, and if it works for them, God bless them, use it, and then abuse it, and then bastardize it. Right on. But as long as it's something that you guys can create. Where are you gonna run into a problem is if you don't have any algorithms for any one of these emergencies. If you don't have a preconception of what you're going to do when you're under duress and laying on your belly with the ceiling on your back. If you do not have those answers done, I mean, you got to do this shit a 1,000 times before that reaction turns into a reflex. So I'm not saying go out and do it a 1,000 times tomorrow, but start creating systems and keep these systems in conjunction with the data so don't run around with shit that doesn't make sense on your person if it's not data driven don't create a rescue technique that's not data driven don't carry shit on your gear that's not data driven stop doing shit because other people are doing it or someone at some fire academy somewhere told you that's the best way to do it Uh, i mean it has to make sense guys i'm not the subject matter expert i just figured out that my training and the data when mixed and then you add a little bit of human psychology and physiology and biology and self-awareness and honesty there you go are going to create a positive outcome my goal is to get home to my son man my goal is to get home to my son my goal is to exploit my pension for as long as possible and i want everyone on here to do that if they have one
1: Hold on, I gotta time stamp certain things just so I can have sound bites to use later. Uh, all right, brother, I'm gonna try and I, there's so much, so much stuff thrown at you right now. With the idea and stats saying crews on the same floor or in the area make the initial RIT rescues, there are some northeastern and midwestern, from what I've heard, that are using the RIT team to move in and fill the role that the team closest to the Mayday is called. They fill in to do whatever that crew was assigned, allowing the closest response to the Mayday. So is it just kind of rotating forward? Is that what you're saying? Anyway, what do you think? I I personally do not use that technique down
0: here, but the goal is to get to the firefighter uh, and start problem solving and or conducting a systems check for them. Are they trapped? Are they out of air, the high air emergency? I'm sorry, a high pressure emergency? Is it an out of air, low air, low low pressure emergency? Is it a mask failure? Is it a personal injury? Is it it a medical issue? You know, a lot of our maydays nowadays are medical issues. We've had Maydays where the guy sprained an ankle, broke a leg, uh, going up the stairs. So whatever it is, the goal is to get to that member. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Uh, If the crew nears the victim and the red team switch roles because that crew has information that is going to get them to the victim faster, by all means, get to me faster. Don't stop firefighting because once the fire goes out, everything gets better. This is where you need to have some, you know, first due diligence or, or I'm sorry, discipline. You need to maintain that first do or assignment discipline in order for the mayday to get better. Right. Uh, so if you're, fighter, you're fighting fire, we can't all drop hose lines and go look for our down brother and sister. That's being handled. But someone needs to check that fire because once the fire goes out, everything gets better. But I don't hate it. I've never heard of it and I don't hate it.
1: Especially if you if you trained on it and it was expected maybe and part of your part of your personal algorithm, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, Drew Julia said, "Thank you, brother. Solid content." And then he added a lot of pink flamingos with some laughy faces. So it's pretty <laughs> nice, man. We got a new, we got the whole yard burger. Awesome. Yes, that's uh, awesome. Hunter Coddington said, "Rob, what's your opinion on wearing a hat right now while having such amazing hair?" First of all, I love Hunter. He's a high speed young man. And he
0: is also one of these awesome rig guys. Hunter has great hair. Hunter, I haven't gotten a haircut this week, dude. Move on with your
1: life. <laughs> uh, Jacob Johnson said, I know you, and sometimes I don't realize it's a joke when I start reading the question until I'm halfway through, so you have to forgive me. It's a me. joke. <laughs> I know you talk about the amount of maydays that happen without a complete size up or 360. Can you expand on that from Jacob Johnson? I'm sorry, read that again. I'm so sorry. I know you talk about the amount of maydays that happen without a complete size up or a 360. Can you expand?
0: All right, cool. Uh, so a large majority, uh, I'm not going to give the number now because I'm not prepped for it. I don't have it on me. So I don't want to make it up. But uh, a large majority, up in the 60% of the Maydays that were called uh, from 2015 to 2019, which is our last uh, set of data that we collected, uh, uh, full 360s were conducted. It's, it's very important. And this information is f- for guys like you. Guys that are pulling up and going to start, you know, giving out assignments and trying to get some type of understanding of what the fire is doing with the build, how the building is reacting to it, and how our actions are affecting both the building and the fire. Right. That being said, if I am the first two company officer and the size of the structure, the amount of uh, gates, padlock, or just the, maybe it might be a city block, one of these warehouses. If I cannot finish my size up, if I can't finish my 360, if I can't get that done. It's very important that I announce that on the radio to all incoming crews. So incoming crews and or incoming company officers not only know my conditions, actions and needs of what I'm doing, what the fire is doing, how the building is reacting and what assignment I have gave myself. Am I operating in rescue mode? Am I going offensive, defensive, fast attack? Whatever language or jargon your agency uses. But they also need to understand that 360 was not complete so that they know that I have not had eyes on all three or four sides of that building and that they, there's an unknown back there. It could be a backyard with a killer dog. It could be a pool. It could be a, 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 a triple-decker in the back and two, right. two floors in the front. And we do not know this information yet. So it's very important that that gets announced on the radio. I've actually changed a lot of what I do based on that data since 2019, where if I'm unable to conduct a full 360 and or 720, I call it a 720, 360 plus 360, because not only the building that will get you, it's a ship below you and above you. It's gotcha. so a 360 gotcha. this way and a 360 this way. Nice. But so the, gr- the fire ground itself is a 720 degrees of danger and risk management. Shit from above, shit from below, and shit from all around, you can, can get you. So if I don't conduct a full 360 and or 720, I make sure I, I announce it on the radio. That's a great question by Chief Jacob Johnson.
1: I like it. I like it a lot, man. Uh, I got another joke coming at you, but, but uh, I, I, I got to <laughs> read it. But it's David Pruitt, and he said, switching from RIT. Have you done any more research on the Oklahoma skunk population? You are killing me. Let me
0: tell
1: you something. <laughs> All right.
0: So, um, born and raised in Miami, Florida. Uh, never seen a skunk uh, at a Chick-fil-A. Uh, myself and two of the people who are – actually, Blake was just on your show last. Right. And uh, Chief Johnson uh, during, caught a break during the conference and went to uh, good old Chick-fil-A for some of uh, Blake's favorite chicken. And uh, as we were leaving (laughs) I saw what I thought was a black and white cat Cross our path At which point I was a a live skunk I had never seen a skunk in a parking lot I yelled it out They didn't even bat an eyelash at it They did not react (laughs) Apparently skunks are normal where they're from Not in Miami I've never seen a skunk outside the zoo And that that became became a thing brother
1: (laughs) Definitely I think it'll be forever a thing Uh, Perfect Okay uh, Hugh Long says, "For younger members of the service, what are some of the best drills, reps, and evolutions to work through to prepare for potential mayday situations?" Dude, we got some hard balls coming at you.
0: Yeah, you ain't kidding. These are all long answers, man. And I wish I could answer them all like the way I would want to answer them because a lot of the stuff being answered—I'm sorry—asked is uh, part of the program, right? On and, and and it takes so much time to teach all these skills. One hundred percent, man. The, the way the way you carry your gear the way you mentally prepare before, during, and after shift. So your nutrition, your hydration, your amount of sleep, how you check your gear in the morning. Uh, I mean, you show up to the firehouse in the morning, there should be bells ringing. Every air patch should be going off, and, those, and the, they should be getting checked. Uh, pass alarms should be going off. Mask and regulators should be being used. Uh, practicing in gear, uh, training in gear, fire gloves with hoods, You know the days of training and, and, and not wearing fire gloves because it's hot or not wearing hoods because it's hot. I'm not saying every time you go out there, every rep needs to be on air. I'm not saying that. But you need to build to that level. Right. And you need, you need to be comfortable in that gear because that's the gear you're gonna be wearing the day of your Mayday. And or the day you're gonna go in and, re- and rescue one of your brothers and or the day you go in for the citizen. Um, and I'm just gonna talk about a real quick story so, yep. you know, we do, this, we do a little podcast as well, and we had one of the guys from Fit to Fight Fire on, and he was telling us about a grab he had that week. So if you guys know anything about these guys from Fit to Fight Fire, they're fit to fight fire. Hell yeah. As, you know, they're, they're high-speed, locked-in, top-notch, varsity as fuck. Damn, I cursed. I'm sorry. You're so,
1: good. Hey, it's um, <laughs> crap. You're
0: okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting all into it. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things he said beyond everything we talked about that day that caught my attention was how their successful VES, second floor VES, threw a ladder, made the window, got to the victim, drugged the victim out under high heat conditions, zero visibility, no hose line above the fire floor. You know, your classic badass call. Right. Dude, he never once mentioned that he wasn't comfortable in his gear, that he had a regulator problem, that he had an SDBA problem, that his mask didn't fit him right. That was the least of his concerns at that moment because he's constantly in his gear. And everything in his gear made sense the way he wore it and how he carried it. Therefore, Mm -hmm. all he had to worry about that day was making the window, making the door, making the grab, and out the window. Nothing else crossed his mind, whereas someone who's never in gear would be dealing with all those little speed bumps that are going to cause either A, delays, and or change your biology and ultimately change your performance. Because they're hot. Because it's tight. Because my hood is on wrong. Because, because, because. Right. So young members. Young members. Bottom line. Keep it simple. Train in your gear as much as possible. It needs to be like your most comfortable pair of jeans. Wearing those pants, those boots, the helmet, that hood
1: on air. Love it, dude. Love it. Got to timestamp it. Sorry. 43.07. You never know which one's going to be the like little sound blurb. You know what I'm saying? Good with it. (laughs) All right. Enjoyed hearing you speak and more brought a new member of my department. We both were at the edge of our seats. My question is how do we respectfully help others understand that we are overcomplicating rescue training to rookies, right? By trying to show off the coolest, latest new tactic.
0: If it's not reproducible under stress, I say, get in the books. It's not, if it's not reproducible under stress, keep it simple. Keep it very, very, very simple. Um, There are techniques that we can do under stress and through constant repetition that are doable and zero visibility when you're wearing fire gloves, which are like oven mitts. So if you're wearing oven mitts and you're trying to tie a a triple rescue, not figure eight flying raker shore, you know, type (laughs) uh, at a webbing with a heart rate of 160. That's your buddy on the ground. We just, you just had a conversation with an hour before about what you guys were doing tomorrow morning. And now he's trapped and or out of air and or hurt. It's 1,000 on the roof, 500 on the ground, on your neck, and you're wearing oven mitts. And now in zero visibility, which is where most of our rescues are happening, which is a zero visibility, that's data, not opinion. And now you're trying to bring a webbing out of your pocket with oven mitts on and, try, and tie some complicated knot that you just watch on YouTube and trained on for the last two shifts. It's not going to happen. So how do we do it? Um, simple answer keep it simple keep it efficient and keep it reproducible under stress if those three components are not there then get rid of it you're just weighing yourself down get that shit out of your pockets get it off your gear you're just decreasing your time on task and, and fatiguing yourself fast keep it simple keep it reducible what was it? what was the middle one keep it simple keep it uh efficient and then keep it reproducible under stress Re-
1: reproducible okay sorry I'm taking my numbers. own notes, I'm taking notes on my own scrap here, like it's not recorded. All right, um, awesome. Alexander Valbuena. I'm not sure if I understand the question, but he's got a scenario for you. So he says, scenario: You are the IC at a structure fire. In your experience, what would be the one thing you have learned that would make the most impact in the survival of that mayday firefighter? And what should that firefighter not do?
0: I'm the IC at a fire. Right. The, fir- the first thing I'm going to do is understand that it is a human situation. So if I'm the IC, I'm thinking already, I'm activating my mayday, I'm keeping him on the channel we're all operating on, I'm switching all of the units to another one, I'm striking a second alarm, if not already, or third, if I'm on a second, and then I'm going to make sure that that firefighter and I have a human conversation if he or she can communicate with me. So we talk about this all the time. If I'm the down firefighter and uh, Valbuena is the, the chief officer, and at that point it's simple man it's just you know i'm i'm calling the mayday 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 and his answer should be firefighter with the mayday who's this next thing might of a mouse should be is rob i don't want to hear engine company one seat five or seat two or seat one or alpha none of that matters at that point if he needs a lunar if he needs information well, the best thing he can do to increase my survivability is a put firefighters in the building okay b Start the RIT team. Not only start a RIT team, but start a RIT team that's proactively trained and has been tracking my whereabouts, my location, and my actions for the last X amount of times that they've been on scene by monitoring communications and checking in with me and being cognizant of the building type construction conditions and actions. Um, then his conversation with me needs to get me back in the fight because my survivability, if I depend on self-rescue, I'm going to be successful 35% of the time. If I, sur- if I depend on RIT, I'm going to be saved six point eight seven percent of the time. So we're looking at thirty five seven. We're not going to do math on a podcast. And then you're going to flood me with people. So a, in my opinion, a chief officer's responsibility after going down the benchmarks for your agency, whether it's switch everyone to different channels, track an additional alarm, get a lunar from the down firefighter, activate the red right team. Once I do all that stuff. My next thing is to give me back or give the down Fireman back their 35% chance of survival by getting them back in the fight. How do I get them back in the fight? By switching them from their lizard brain, quote quote, air quotations, you know, their primitive fight or flight brain, which they're in right now, to their thinking 2 plus 2 equals 4 cognitive brain or prefrontal prefrontal cortex. So how do I do that? I talk them down. Hey, Rob, this is Chief So-and-so. Where you at? What happened? What do you need, Rob? We're coming to get you. So-and-so's coming to get you. Hey, Rob, do me a favor. How's your mask looking? You got your mask on? Can you move for me? What do you see around you? Okay, Rob, do me a favor. Try to get to a window. Set your pass device off. Okay, turn it off for me, Rob. And work with me to get me back in the fight. Love it. If you treat me like a freaking robot, I'm going to stay primitive brain where two plus two equals absolutely nothing because it doesn't freaking matter. And I'm going to panic and go back to the last thing I did, which resulted in a positive outcome in training which hopefully wasn't let me rip my mask off and run
1: out of the building. Right. Because right. training matters. Right. hundred percent, man. Those training scars. Oh, over and over. Uh, man. Mm-hmm. Okay. <sighs> oh, so many questions. I'm trying to pick which ones. Do you have a preferred method of firefighter packaging? This is from J- Jason Wesley Hall. I don't want to leave you out. Again, this is a uh, Basil's arena. But I'm gonna go ahead and try to answer the question
0: okay. that like he Sorry. would, like like he would I have so much respect for these guys, man. I really, really do. It's okay for us to stay in our lanes. It really is. For young firefighters listening and for middle of the pack firefighters listening, you don't have to be a fucking expert in everything, dude. It's okay to be good at something, just be the best at it, excel at it, and, and be a good firefighter, but be awesome at throwing ladders, be awesome at cutting cars, be awesome at doing searches. Be awesome at being a good paramedic. Pick a lane and learn everything you can about it. I, I hate the saying that, you know, I'm, uh, we're like masters of, of um, sorry, what was it? jacks of all trades, masters, masters of none. none. Yes, I hate that. Be the master of something or at least try to be. So um, back to what was the question? I forgot the question. Uh,
1: oh, preferred, <laughs> preferred method of firefighter
0: packaging. Do you have one? Real simple. Yes. Answering like basil would. That's their lane. Um The firefighter's position and or condition and or emergency, whether it's low air, I'm sorry, low pressure, high pressure, mass failure, injury, medical or not, is going to dictate which method we use. I have a primary method I like to use. I have an alternate method I like to use. And then after that, we go right down the list for emergency methods. Uh, My primary method every time, we we carry some form of pickoff strap in our left pocket. Uh, My company and I do, and most of the members that we train do. And that pickoff strap is what we use to convert the air pack. Uh, we do not use the air pack conversion packaging to create a class three type harness to drag uh, I've spoken to a lot of vendors, whether it's MSA, Scott, Draeger, insert you know your air pack company here. and these air pack belts, the seat belt of a drager and/ or MSA and/or Scott are the three that I'm very familiar with because they're the most common in our region right are not designed and or tested for hauling, horizontal movement, down the stair movements, or out the window, lowering. They're not designed for that. So I like to make sure their systems, their, their gears on, tighten, and we use pick-off straps to tie them in to themselves, orient ourselves where the head is, orient ourselves where the feet is, do a full systems check. And that's my primary way is every time it's going to be the same thing because we want to create a reflex. And my reflex is always going to be left leg pocket on me, it's for them. Pickoff straps pre pre-deplo- uh, deployed, rolled to where it comes out of zero visibility. I have a ball on one end and a monkey fist on the other, and I can feel both of them in the dark with my gloves on. I know where the non locking carabiners are. I feel the right chest. I find the clip on the top right chest. I hook one end of it, run, my, run myself underneath the down firefighter's leg up to, the, up to the left chest, hook there, take the slack, and he's packaged and we're gone. A pickoff strap is rated for 4,500 pounds and or doubled up 9,000, and I don't have to worry about that failing on me.
1: Right on. Right on. There you go. Perfect answer. Um, Chris Wilmer, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway. Do you have any recommendation on on a specific tool, piece of equipment to carry in a pocket or on your gear to assist in rescue situations, self-rescue or otherwise?
0: Yeah, so for uh, self-rescue, we'll talk about that first. Uh, Everything we carry on our gear serves a purpose. Uh, we don't do, like, Wacky Wednesdays. I'm going to move my flashlight from my left side to the right side. You know, <laughs> stuff like that does not fucking, we don't do any of that. If you talk to, like, uh, a lot of the guys in the military, I'm not military myself, but if you talk to guys in the military, you talk to guys in law enforcement, high-speed me- operators that are real into their job, they keep their gear the same way every time. Their primary weapons, weapon system, their ammunition, their non-lethal, their secondary weapon system. Everything stays in the same place every time they go past the wire and or downrange and or start to shift on the road because they understand human psychology and physiology. And you're always going to go through that biological change, similar to the one that we go through when we call our Mayday. When it becomes a two way range and you're no, you're no longer shooting at paper and the paper shooting back at you, something happens to the human brain. And once that clicks, just like it does for us in our Mayday, they have to understand where everything is in their system. So they know that if they drop their ammunition, they know where the other magazine and where they can keep eyes on the target or on the threat. Right. If they have to go non-lethal, they don't go right side to left side because it's Wednesday. It stays always on the right side. That's where they carry it. Now, how does that apply to firefighting? Our gear. I'll just talk about my gear. We have an action area. Everything I need to survive in my action area runs from the top of my regulator to my belt buckle and then shoulder to shoulder. Why do we pick that area? Because. Data has taught us that most firefighters that are found unresponsive and or trapped secondary to a mayday or an unexplained fire behavior and or unexplained phenomenon, they are found either in the fetal position on their side or on their stomachs. Because we wear an air pack, we don't end up on our backs most of the time. We either go left, right or face down because the position that you're chest up searching and or fire academy on all fours head down, you know, and then some shit happens and there you are. So understanding the way that we end up getting trapped has led us to create systems where we carry pockets and shit in our gear that makes sense. The Fairfax study in Virginia many years ago taught us how and where to carry our radios. There's different ways to carry your radios because that's what feels comfortable to you. I'll tell you what, if that feels comfortable for you and you can do it, do it. But I'm going to follow the data. The data tells me I need to wear a radio strap. My agency provides a radio strap with a remote lapel mic. I'm going to wear it underneath my coat. To protect it from thermal insult and/or water damage, I'm going to get all my gear on, and that lapel mic's going to sit out of my neck and sit right around here in my in my center chest. Okay, my heads-up display it sits right above, or off to the side, depending on what you wear, of my regulator. My regulator has a bypass valve of some sort to give myself some air. On my right chest, on my Scott pack, I have a remote gauge, how much air I have. It also it also provides me a pass device. On my left chest. I carry a cutter and a flashlight because my bunker gear provides a pocket for me. That is not a radio pocket for me. That is a cutter for entanglement because 20% or more of Maydays involve some form of entanglement. And there's case studies done on this uh, as early as in the early 2000s and 2010 and 2001 uh, study uh, cases such as Houston, the McDonald's fire where they lost two members, you pull up the knowledge reports, guys, get yourself educated. The information's out there. If you're not finding it, it's because you are not looking for it. You're right depending on. on people, you're depending on people like me and Corley and other, other people to do that job for you. Don't be fucking lazy. This is your job. Go out there and look for it. All right? There's levels to this game. And you get to choose what level you're on. You can be JV or varsity. All right? You can be JV or varsity. It's your call. So the left chest, I have my cutters. Now, the type of cutter also matters. I'm carrying a cutter that's A, spring-loaded assisted, meaning every time I open it, Uh, Every every time I release that assist, it opens on its own. I can cut, it opens. I can cut, it opens. Because I understand that Rob, on the day of my Mayday, with the ceiling on my back, is not going to have fine motor skill to sit there and fumble fuck with some cutter that I bought at Home Depot that's probably A, A, rusted, and or I have to open and close manually when I've lost all senses of motor skill because my blood is shunting to my core, To provide me glycogen in my liver and oxygen in my lung and oxygen to my heart so all my big muscles can work so i can fight and or flight right on. so understanding that bro that what i carry on me makes sense i have all that in my action area so i can give myself a breath i can see my heads up display i can check my remote gauge i can set off my pass device and turn it off don't leave your pass devices on set it off when the red team needs it where command asks you that sound in your head keeps you in a state of chaos it causes a lot of noise pollution which causes auditory exclusion which causes you to think crazy shit so in order for you to get yourself back in the fight and get back to that 35 percent needed for self-rescue intermittent use of your past device is perfectly acceptable okay so start working on that on my left chest i have a flashlight why Because if any of you guys watch any of those survival shows on TV, whether it's Naked Afraid, Lost in the Desert, Lost in the Jungle, whatever it is, dude, they get dropped off. It gets worse, worse, and worse until they find water. And then it keeps getting worse and worse and worse until they build a fire. Because we are human before we are operators. The second you have fire and or light, we are visual creatures, and our heart rate goes down and our thinking goes up. So if you're in the dark, on your belly, and shit just happened, a little flashlight on your left chest, a little corner light. Check your air. Check your person. Dual systems check with light will provide you the ability to get back to thinking two plus two equals four. Right. And now you're cognitive and your prefrontal mm. cortex again, and you're moving forward with self-rescue. I and that's part you.
1: of that part of that algorithm. Mm-hmm. All right. No, I'm saying that light, just clicking that light, just part of that algorithm cl- you were talking about earlier. Absolutely, yes, it is. Yes. Now, now back to the cutters. The cutters that we carry
0: are again ring assisted to open because the loss of gross the anticipation of losing gross motor skills not only that but I also have this paracorded on the handle so and I keep a long piece of paracord outside my pocket I'm gonna try to get up here yeah. this is outside my pocket all right and at the end of it Herbie Tyler from NRC added a golf ball to it and I thought it was a genius he's like dude I'm gonna add a glow in the dark golf ball I'm gonna drill it and I'm gonna run the paracord through it and this glow-in-the-dark golf ball sits outside my bunker coat. Now, if I lost use of my hands and or gross motor skills, I can reach up my chest, catch that loop, or find that golf ball because it feels different than all the other smushy shit on my chest because I'm wearing oven mitts and I'm going bunker gear. Smush, 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 golf ball. Oh, shit, that feels different. Pull that and deploys my cutters. Nice. Now, my cutters, have, my cutters have a straight cutting edge on them, and they do not have a wire stripping notch. That wire stripping notch, those of you guys that carry that, get rid of it. That AC ductwork, that silver ductwork with that... Spiderweb wire, yeah. (laughs) Spiderweb wire of death created by the devil to kill firefighters. Right. All right? It fits perfectly in that wire stripping notch at the end of your cutters. All right? If you think that you're going to in the dark with a heart rate of 160 and cancel Christmas uh, canceling all your Christmas plans because you're about to die, are going to find that notch and avoid it in the dark, you're fucking batshit crazy. So, don't buy it with it. Straight edge, spring assisted, glow in the dark, put something on it. We use a golf ball to find it, because it feels different than all the other smushy shit on your chest. Love my lower it. pockets are for fire alarms, bells and smells. My right leg is for me. That's where I keep my bailout kit. My left leg, I already talked about it, is where the pick strap is, and it's for them. I travel light.
1: The older you are, the lighter you travel. Love it, dude. Hey, Dude, if, if, if you listen to nothing else than that, then that diatribe right there on, on what to carry on your what action area, then, then this scrap is worth it. Uh, awesome. Brother, there are so many. I'm trying to catch up, but there are so many coming at you. Uh, okay, I'm catching here. Uh, J-Lo, Justin Lorenzen, coming at you again. He said, in your opinion, Rob, what is the most important firefighter, survivable RIT skill to teach to the young, inexperienced in the Recruit Academy? So he's asking about Recruit Academy specific. Is it pack conversion, face piece swap, etc.? What What, if you said, you know, prioritize.
0: Honestly, um, packaging. And there's a, it, packaging is an a, all-day class because you have to teach them to package and zero visibility. If you train for the worst-case scenario, you get rid of the worst-case scenario, everything else should be easier, in theory. So I would focus all my efforts on packaging. Um, if you can package a down firefighter right, that's a huge percentage of the battle. Because that, that's going to require A, finding him, B, finding head versus tail, meaning where his feet are in relation to his head, checking his air, identifying the emergency, and then getting them packaged for either a straight haul and or out of window downstairs and or out of window on rope and or upstairs and or downstairs. So packaging and moving when taught correctly and zero visibility with a little bit of stress and arousal from smoke and fire, it's the most important skill set you can teach any young recruit
1: to increase not only their survivability but ours, if they're the ones that come to us. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, Greg Rogers got someone to throw at you. He says, it's all about a tactical rhythm and splitting the building for RIT. What's your take on that, Roberto? All right, so first and
0: foremost, I want to tell Greg
1: that I am beyond proud of him. Greg is a
0: rescue squad officer on Florida Task Force 2. He's been on the pile 17 days. Damn. So he's writing, he's writing to us right now during a break on the collapse pile. Uh, Greg Rogers is uh, NRC uh, and uh, probably one of the best structural collapse guys I've ever been around in my career. So I appreciate the question. I love you. what you're doing, bro. Get home to your family. I miss you guys like crazy, and I'm going to stop talking before I get teary-eyed.
1: Right on. You're back so, me.
0: Yeah, he uh, he's a stud. He's also a captain with the city of West Palm Beach Fire Department. So um, Greg teaches RIT. Uh, Greg teaches RIT for our firefighter advanced survival program. And he is, uh, again, like I said, I can't say enough about the guy. Long, long story short, uh, splitting the building is something that he loves to do. Uh, He splits his RIT teams. So uh, similar to the question that was asked earlier, I believe it was Drew that might have asked it, Elliot, about being mobile versus stationary. Right. Uh, A lot of the stuff that I do is based, again, on what I've seen Greg teach and or been around him while he's teaching. He's all about splitting the building geographically and his crews, if the staffing provides and putting members nearest where the action is happening and or the greatest amount of risk is being incurred. So splitting the building versus however you guys talk about your buildings, whether it's one, two, three, four side, or Alpha Bravo, Charlie Delta side, he'll put crews on the red team and actually split them in teams of two of the staffing provides and or one member on each side and a company officer on the Alpha side and then deploy them that way based on uh, building size and or location of uh, greatest risk activities being incurred. So that's a great question by Greg. And again, bro, get home to your
1: family. It's been 17 days too long. So he's on a break. He's on a break. He's still out there. So... Uh, No, absolutely. Basil's chiming in for you. He said, proud of you, bro. Writ is personal. Keep the formalities out of it. So he approves. So there you go. Uh, First of all, I just want to say something. I'm surprised Basil's awake right now because it's 10 o'clock and he's usually in bed by nine. (laughs) It was 14 minutes ago he said it. So That's that's how far behind I am on the comments, by the way. (laughs) That's a good problem. Uh, David Pruitt said this scrap should be mandatory You have been humble, apologetic, have given credit to others When you didn't know, you didn't make it up When you didn't know it, it was straight from the heart And right on target No, I can't agree I dude, 100% uh, David, right on right Thanks. on point, man Rob is the Thanks, real Dave. deal If you didn't Thanks, know Dave. he was the real deal before the scrap You're finding it out right here live um, Alright Tuning in late, but just have to say I heard you will be at Ozarks this weekend And if that's true, I can't wait to see this gathering Are you coming to the lake of the Ozarks? I
0: cannot make it. Okay, um, the, okay. The, the, the whole collapse thing threw my schedule off.
1: Okay, okay, fair enough. I was like, man, I'm going to be there, so I was really pumped. I but, was. I was going to go up with, uh, with uh, Sean Duffy and Pablo Jenner. Gotcha. All right. Uh, well, I'll see Pablo and Sean. and uh, You will. All right. Uh, consolation prize. Um, There we go. There we go. Rob Jason Lynn said, Rob is like a Swiss Army knife. He must be a Quint guy. <laughs> I do operate on a Quint. <laughs> Uh, it's The modern day
0: apparatus. All <laughs> right, the modern day apparatus. Okay. Some, some days I identify as an engine. Other days as the truck. Most of the
1: times, work as an ambulance. It's fair. <laughs> That's actually a really good uh, a description. Um, Thanks, Jason. Oh, say so he said, talk about the glow in the dark golf ball. We got that. Yes, we're catching up, brother. We are. I'm almost. I'm almost scrolled to where I've caught up. Beautiful. Uh, you don't see second string athletes sitting on the bench. In street clothes, put your gear on and be ready. That came from Jacob Johnson. Jacob. Herbie says, you can't fake this solid work. Rob. Dude, I'm, I'm agreeing with everything they're saying. I know I'm. Uh, and Pablo said, you could fake a lot of shit, but you can't fake passion. Uh, there Story. it is. Uh, older you are, the lighter you, get, the lighter you travel. Word from Marco Rodriguez. I'm catching you up, man. I really am. Okay, guys, we're doing awesome. Packaging-wise, waist strap conversion versus external strap. You answered that. You did not like. Yeah, we got that answered. He is not a fan of the air pack conversion. Uh, Brian Altman said, Mayday and RIT is not advanced. These subjects should start being taught to firefighters in recruit school. We expect them to understand hazardous materials in most areas to receive their certification, but we aren't teaching them how to protect themselves or save their brother, or sister, firefighter. Priorities are jacked up. I hey, think- Amen. That is a very strong sentiment that is coming through this scrap. Ben Hopner said, the real deal. Biho sends love, bro. Absolutely, Biho You know I love you. Uh, Mark J. Rossi says, known Ramirez a long time. He's a very passionate instructor. I have heard this presentation several times before. Surprised he didn't mention common ground erosion. Okay, so I'm going to pick on common ground erosion. So All right, that's and then we are actually caught up.
0: Go. Awesome uh Mark Rossi thanks brother uh he works for a lot of the great guy he's one of the founders of the actual uh, fast program when we were all working okay. at the fire Academy together so uh, Rossi again another real deal guy um with that being said uh common ground erosion is what we refer to as first of all in order to have common ground erosion you have to create common ground okay so what what happens is uh as a company officer and or senior firefighter at your station whoever's conducting your training for your agency or your crew your goal should be to create some form of common ground. Uh, in order to create common ground, meaning how are we going to throw this ladder in limited space? How are we going to stretch this line beyond the pre-connect? What is an engine one on the B-shifts plan for stretching beyond the pre-connect? If engine one thinks they're going to figure that out the date of their, far, or their first time they have to stretch beyond the pre-connect, engine one is mistaken. Right. now, create, Now, augment that times 10. What is engine one on the beaches plan for packaging a down brother fireman and or surviving a mayday situation if one of them is involved? If they're going to depend on the conversation they had on the table that one time to be the solution to their problem the day of their mayday and or writ activation, they are going to fail. So engine one needs to create common language and common ground through training, repetition and time on task. So what Rossi's referring to is, as the call gets worse, if you have created only a little bit of common ground via tabletop or unrealistic training, everything that happens, that domino effect of things that happen at every single line of duty death, every single one of those is going to erode your common ground and common language. And what firefighter A is seeing And firefighter B is seeing, and the company officer will be completely different at one point. Right. And it will result in a negative outcome. Damn. So the more shit that goes wrong, the more common ground erosion you're going to suffer on scene. And that will result in a negative outcome, which can be a civilian and or firefighter line of duty death.
1: Damn. If that doesn't get you thinking, then I don't know what else could. Uh, true story no absolutely uh love it man dude i want to tell you this right now okay rob because when i do scraps i always go through and try to research the person and i try to write down a list of questions that i'm going to ask them and uh the list of questions i got to question two out (laughs) out of out of 12 so just so you know we're at a minute 10 or an hour 10 and so that's like just beautiful stuff from the audience man that that speaks a lot to the quality of the uh the audience so i love them uh, all that being said, uh, I'm getting ready to hit you with books. Are you ready for that? Sure, let's do it. All right. So I always like to ask our guests, is there book or books that you think firefighters should be reading? And I have to tell them, it does not have to be firefighting books. What do you think firefighters should read?
0: All right. So uh, I'll prefix this by saying that I wish I had more time to read. I really, I really do, but I keep a very busy schedule. Uh, my son takes up time uh, that I need to give him when I'm not working. And so reading is something that I really wish I could sit down and read a book. Uh, I try to do it at the firehouse, but it's impossible. Uh, it's just impossible at the firehouse. Not because of the call volume, because I work with rock stars that need constant stimulation. And if I don't <laughs> give it to them, they'll come if I don't give it to them, they'll come find it. Right on. So There is no down there there is no downtime. Fair. Uh, but so when I do get to read, again, I, I talked about it earlier. It's okay to be a one trick pony. And I hate saying that word, but I'm not really a one trick pony. But I'm passionate about what I'm passionate about. So my books all revolve around some form of human psychology, physiology, and or um, rescue and or training. Um, I spent five years as a training officer for my department. And then the last couple of years as the captain. So I'm trying to, uh, imp- I guess, diversify my portfolio. But right now, the books that I go back to most often are again, one of my, my biggest mentors uh, from afar and close is uh, Rick George. Yes. Uh, he, he is just a, that guy for me. Um, I, I geek out when I hear him talk, and he talks about uh, biology and hard drive versus soft drive. A lot of uh, stuff that I've mentioned. Amazing dude, yeah, 100%. Amazing, amazing, you know. Um, so his book on developing firefighter resiliency. Resiliency, yes. You know, it, him, and, him and Bob Carpenter, retired from Miami-Dade. Great book. Uh, Deep Survival. By Lawrence gonzalez is a great book as well and then you know sharpening the warrior's edge is another book i like to read again psychology physiology then uh on combat by uh, uh lieutenant colonel grossman again that's one of the first books i read when when i when i do the mindset presentation a lot of that stuff about you know action reaction uh, under stress duress Heart rates, red, gray, yellow—fingers
1: yeah, shutting all the blood. Fingers, yeah, yes. all
0: that stuff comes from, you know, military and/or police before it ever became a fire thing because that information was just not out there a decade ago for us. So a lot of the stuff that we had to do, we had to do it on our own. And that's one of those books that was like the Bible for me. So these are the four books that I go back to often. And then you know, anything by Vinnie Dunn is great. You know, whether it's construction or survival, and 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 that's the kind of stuff I read. I like what I like. I like to Absolutely. read what I'm passionate about. And that's why I ended up being a firefighter because I, I wasn't a great college student, but I loved firefighting and that's what I became good at. So I wish I had some real cool leadership books to give you, but I really don't. No, no. I kind of wing, I, I
1: wing it. I love it your passion. Guys like you
0: when, it comes to, when it comes to leadership, it depends on guys like you.
1: No, it's 100%. This is passion coming through, man. If anybody doubts your passion right now, you got like a whole bunch of people that will fight them about it. They just have to watch this scrap, man. So, awesome. 100%. I love it. Okay. So, we have a thing we do on every weekly scrap. It is the five questions for firefighters. The answers are 100% your opinion, and the points are arbitrary and they're passed out by me. So, Rob Ramirez, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Let's do it. I can't believe I'm doing this. Awesome. Absolutely. It's awesome, man. <laughs> I have to pull them up to actually remember what they are. All right. Number one. What is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? All right. So I got
0: this crazy, uh, like thing that's been bothering me for like the last probably six months. And it's the lack of validation of skills and or instructors due to like all the modern advances in technology that we have. Stuff like this. Meaning. Social media has created this new breed of instructors that based on popularity, anything they say becomes Bible and the fire service runs with it or a large portion of the fire service runs with it. Uh, And and man, uh, that's really been to me the downfall or the biggest issue right now in today's modern service. The guys and girls that are following people or doing techniques that are not applicable, not realistic not proven and or vetted by any data or time to work. And this has created a new breed of instructors that that can, if taken as Bible, lead you down the wrong road. And in my arena, what I teach, writ and survival, if you practice only unrealistic training, Chief, then you're going to pull on that under duress when it's your mayday and it's going to not work, and you're going to freeze. And if you freeze, it's going to end up in a lot of duty death. And, and my goal is to prevent that as much as possible. Um, and so that worries me the most. There, you cannot replace years of making dirty hallways and or throwing ladders by catchy slogans, t-shirts, and stickers. You cannot. And it's almost like everywhere I turn, there's a catchy slogan, a t-shirt, or a sticker. And whatever that person and or group says, it becomes Bible. And some of the stuff out there is just junk.
1: Love it, man. So especially when it comes to it's not data-driven and it's not street-proven. That's it. That's it, man. Dude, Dude, badass answer, man. I've not heard that answer either. So uh, it's popular, not proven. Lack of validation. At first, Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean by that? But then you really, really expounded really well on that. I love it. All right. Number two. What is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? Here it goes the advances in technology, social media. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so, the two sides so of the side, same coin. <laughs> that's it. One side is pissing me off. Right. The other side, it's it not, it not pissing me off, it's worrying me because I, I'm afraid people are going to get hurt. But then this right here, what we're doing you know, you're just Corley and Rob. Right. The relationships. The fact that I can go to Oklahoma and hang out with you and Amanda, yes. you know, the fact that I can go uh, to, to uh, Orlando or New York or L.A. or Texas and, and, and hang out with friends and people that I know only because of social media, where a decade ago I knew people that I knew because of Florida. Right now. Now I pick up my phone and talk to people all over the country that I consider friends and brothers. Like if you and I had come up in the same fire department together, 100%,
1: man. you
0: know, and that's only because of the modern advances in technology. The fire service has gotten so much smaller for me. Just uh, look, I'll give you an example. Just uh, a couple shifts ago, I got my ass kicked by an elevator. <laughs> I had people trapped in an elevator. I could not figure it out. I pride myself on being a good elevator guy. And I went down my system, down my algorithm, and that elevator absolutely kicked my ass. So yeah, we got the people out. <laughs> i went back to the firehouse i called my buddy in tennessee literally pulled in the apparatus bay jumped out of the truck everyone went inside i went to the parking lot Dow, tennessee he called me and right back and we spoke for 20 minutes about the call taught me about it. he's my subject matter expert on elevators that's those are relationships i would never be able to have when i have a truck company question i can call somebody in here if i have another question i can call somebody in orlando that the, the ability to shrink the fire service yes. because of modern technology is what i'm the most excited
1: about dude that's an amazing answer to two amazing answers in a row your max points on two i didn't give you max points on the first one uh <laughs> i didn't announce it but definitely in my head you were max points it's one of the best answers i've heard on both of those i really do mean that uh i try to make this very this is the thing man i try to make it where you it's not a gimme i really do uh but I, yeah. the, the guests are so solid it's hard uh Number three, best rank or position to be in in the fire service? Uh, honestly, uh, this is
0: the instructor answer, and then I'm going to give you my answer. All right. the instructor <laughs> answer. The instructor answer is every position you're in should be the best position in the fire service. You're a tailboard, that's the best spot on the job. It's okay for you to be a tailboard the rest of your entire career. It's okay to be a driver. Be the best damn driver you can be. Be the best damn chief you can be. But my current position as a company officer and a captain is, is is the most rewarding position i've ever been in because i get to serve those that served and that that alone uh makes it all worth it for me and this is just not talk Uh, i i really do give a shit about my guys Mm -hmm. their professional development i hate to lose them when they promote out i hate to to lose them uh when 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 they leave to other firehouses but man um the position I'm in now, the the opportunity I have to help these people develop and serve them and their families is is something that I do not take lightly. And I honestly believe that uh I, I the fire company officer is the, the best position in the fire department. A okay. middle management spot.
1: Thousand percent, man, if you know me, you know, there's only one correct answer to this and it's max points for company officer. The thing is, man, if you do your job, you they will promote out because you've groomed them and mentored them and and, and prepared them. And then it rips your heart out when they go. So anyway, it does. Absolutely. Um, best advice you have ever received. All right.
0: Sorry. Um, so the best advice I've ever received. Um, the most memorable one. I've, I've received advice from so many people. Uh, I'm constantly getting advice from people, whether they know they're giving it or not. I'm listening. Um, I, I, I love to to learn from other people that I, I, I think of highly and or value their opinions. So, but uh, my first battalion chief I ever worked for, uh, Danny Steele, uh, he, he passed away now, so rest in peace, chief. But he uh, he told me, like, one of my first days in the job, I was probably six days on, and he was like, "Hey, kid, you know, a couple things. The higher you promote around here, meaning the fire department I was at, right? The more people you serve. Nice. Don't be one of these guys. These guys don't work for you; you work for them. Nice. Now I'm going. I'm going back to like you know early '99, 2000, where these servant leadership books weren't out yet, right? And that wasn't that wasn't even a thing. Like he was way ahead of his time. He, right. This, on. this man came. He came on the job '76, so. He was like, hey, the, the more you promote around here, the more people you serve. The higher you go, the more people you're responsible for. And that's something that always stayed with me when I went through lieutenant and captain. I was like, man, these are my guys now. Okay, yes. now all these are my guys. So now I'm serving Joe Public when they're down 911, but also the people that serve with me, I'm serving. Right on. And that's something that I never took lightly. And then, you know, the same thing. He was like, always undersell and over-deliver. Let your men become your biggest ambassadors because nothing speaks louder. So... You know, my guys are my guys and and I I could promise them the world, but I don't. I just give it to them. And they'll go out and they'll they'll be your biggest ambassadors ambassadors, I'm sorry. And and nothing speaks louder. Nobody wants to hear you go around the fire department about what you do for your guys. Let your guys go around and tell them what you do for them.
1: Hell yeah, bro. And
0: then trust me, when you're fire when there's an opening in your firehouse, they'll be lined up at the door to work for you.
1: Hell yeah oversell and under deliver (laughs) oh undersell and over deliver i say it wrong and dude that was that's beautiful dude and 100 percent, man um oh dude that's a great answer so dude you're crushing it appreciate it number five my favorite question i love to hear the reasons why there's no wrong answer so heavy fire searchable space would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on ves so anyone that knows
0: me personally knows the answer to this. Uh, I know Jason Lynn spoke about the Quint. Uh, I do ha- I do <laughs> work on a ladder company, and I am a 1,000% through-and-through truck company-minded officer. I do carry hose. I hate everything about it. It's heavy. It's wet. It gets dirty. You got to load it and wash it and take care of it, and people care how you load it and how you deploy it. There's people for that, man. It's okay to stay in your lane. That's not my lane. That's why I do not teach it. That's why I do not preach it. I am 100% on that rescue, through that window, under heavy fire, to make the VES grab. I'm
1: not the guy you that wants to be stretching that line. Right on. Right on. That's it. That's just me. That was, hey, I, that's all That's all I want to hear is the reason why, dude. Dude, you just absolutely destroyed the five questions for firefighters, man. I don't know. Awesome. Uh, You're the 96th roughly you know this is the 96 scrap i don't think the five questions have been around for all 96 but through it all uh that was one of the best five answers i've heard uh, I, I try not like i said i try not to uh just make it to give me a softball but yeah absolutely people are agreeing excellent answers across the board um brother there it is scrap number 96 dude you crushed that was so much fun man uh, I, felt like five, I felt like I talked to you for 10 minutes. I love it. <laughs> well, it's been almost an hour and a half, so it, it went it. really good, dude. The audience, amazing. Um, another scrap in the books. Where can people reach out to you, get a book, uh, book a class, uh, get information? Um, they can reach out to me anywhere, man. Uh, my email is
0: captainrob1075 at gmail.com. Uh, my Facebook, Instagram, uh, on our podcast, the Train to Live, NRC podcast. Uh, we're going to be all over. Uh, We have a survival class next month in Arkansas. Then we're, uh, what's next month? August. Then in September, I'm speaking at the uh, International Fools Conference in Central Florida. Nice. Then we have uh, Fort Lauderdale Fire Expo. We're doing a survival class there in October. Then I'm back up in your neck of the woods for Chief Brush. We're doing a man versus machine
1: for his fire department. Nice. uh, In November. In November. Piggy back into that somehow. Uh, So we got to hang out then. But other than that, man, I'm
0: I'm I'm around. I, I love to talk to firefighters.
1: Like I said in the beginning, I love firefighters. I love this opportunity. I've had a blast, man. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. Dude, you crushed. I mean, seriously. I, yeah. Uh, all right, real quick. I do my, my housekeeping, which is uh, Sam Adams, firefighter Sam Adams. He gave me this coin. I asked him to send me any symbology on it. I'm pretty sure that is the shape. Oh, man, there's too much light on it. The shape of the county. Kern County Fire out of California. He came to honor the Fallen Conference. He gave me this coin. I'll be adding it, and it's his local. Uh, 1301, IAFF out of Kern County, California. Samuel Adams, thank you for that, brother. Uh, I didn't get the symbology, but I'm pretty sure I can figure it out. That is the American flag in the shape of the county. And then the other one, I actually won this when I won a smooth boar cartel hat, which is the smooth AF, which goes right along with the varsity AF, which is Love what it. this podcast was today. So I'm adding those two to the to the collection. I also today stained and put up my taylor's tins holders to keep my taylor's tins collection growing so you guys can all be proud and quit making fun of my lack of coins um, <laughs> i keep getting that every week so but i appreciate awesome. it i really love it so uh where was other things of note i'm trying to see here i'm going to try and catch your class in uh, arkansas is pretty close to my neck of the woods so we'll be in fayetteville okay did i close my notes tell me i didn't I might have. It's all good. Uh, I appreciate Robert Mirrors coming on, sharing all his knowledge. Guys, if you didn't get something out of this, uh, you need to look in the mirror. The audience, amazing questions, as always. Like I said, I got to two of the questions I had planned. I don't don't even know if you had stuff you wanted to talk about that we missed, but dude, you crushed it, brother. I had a blast,
0: man. Thank you so much.
1: Audience, uh, I hope the tone stays silent. Unless it's burning, stay safe out there. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.